Sermon on the Mount. We've been listening for a while now to Jesus. In fact, this is the second time through. I haven't mentioned this in a while, but this is the second time through since I've been working here that we've run through the Sermon on the Mount. You know, the, the church needs to come back to this again and again. I've been here about five years. You need to hear it about every three to five years. You know, we need to settle our hearts into the, the teachings of our King. Because this is the kind of people that we are meant to be. People who forgive everything. People who love everyone. People who pray for our enemy, even if they're like sitting over there across the building from us. People who welcome and and embrace the way Jesus welcomes and embraces. So we come again and again to the mountain to sit down with the Lord and let us shape our hearts. This morning, we're stepping into what is probably the most beautiful and also most difficult of Jesus' teachings. Do not worry. Jesus says, Therefore, do not worry about your life, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or about your body, saying, What shall we wear? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't... uh, sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you of much greater importance than those? Which of you by worrying can add even a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? Look at the grass of the field. It doesn't toil or spin. And yet I tell you, that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was, was dressed like even one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Because the Gentiles run after those things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Sufficient to the day is its own trouble. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that impossible? Am I the only one who ever hears that kind of thing and thinks to themselves, great, now I've got something else to worry about? Because <laughs> now I'm disobeying Jesus when I get all worried, and now I'm worried about being worried. Nah! Let me say before we get into this, just a couple of things that I do not think Jesus intends, and that's one of them. Do you know that Satan knows the Bible better than you do? In quote it. You remember when Jesus was being tempted by the devil? What did the devil throw at him? Scripture? Absolutely. If you're the Son of God, cast yourself down because it is written. They'll bear you up. He's able to quote Scripture. And I think this is one of those things, especially to a person whose heart is kind of inclined toward anxiety. Oh, he'll quote this to you all day long. You know, but not for the purpose of teaching you or helping you but to use your blessed Savior's word to attack you. If you find yourself worrying about worrying, Jesus is going, oh, no, this is not what I did to you, child. 
there's someone else doing that to you. So be free. Be free. I also don't think that, that he is necessarily talking about some of our troubles that we are facing that are kind of uh, illnesses. There are anxiety-based disorders that our culture has identified that are chemically induced. Look, some of those may be caused by the will, but a lot of them are not. Right? And so Jesus here is not talking about... Do you think Jesus is critical of people who wear glasses because they wear glasses? If you've got a sickness, Jesus wants to heal you and set you free. But if you have a sickness, you're not going to cure that by the force of your will. And so trying to apply this teaching to an anxiety disorder probably isn't going to be real helpful. In fact, it probably will set up that same problem that you just had of a cycle of anxiety about being anxious. You've got to give that to God. I also, as I was studying this week, there were several of my friends who are in this room who are facing this shadow that hangs over them of impending bad, the potential of impending bad times. And there is a difference, I believe, between what Jesus is talking about and fear of pain in the world. And I don't think Jesus intends for anybody to feel guilty because they're afraid of something. You know, I think God is a good dad. And I think about the trouble that my kids have faced and my heart's response to it. When my kid wakes up in the middle of the night from a... a fearful dream. There's nothing in me but comfort. Jillian, for a while, when she was little bitty tiny, I mean like 18 months, you know, she barely talked, right? We had her in, uh, in a room in a house in Massachusetts. Their crib was pushed up against a door that would go up into the attic. And it used to freak us out because as we're, when we'd come in, she's screaming and she'd be pointing at that door that her crib was pushed up against, pointing at that door going, monkeys, daddy, monkeys. Man, at 3 a.m. when your little bitty kid is pointing at a door screaming monkeys, that's going to freak you out, man. I'm going to just tell you from experience, it's terrifying. But my heart's response to that, that that's an irrational fear, I hope. I don't think there were any monkeys in our attic. I don't think. And I don't think they were. If there were, those were freaky little critters. You know, they opened in the door. Gah! And then they'd shut the door and go, hee, hee, You know, I mean, I don't believe that was happening. But it was scary to her. On the other hand, when same girl was about six, we'd go in to the doctor's office. And the doctor would come in with this array of needles. And is getting ready to stick them into her. And when she was four, she didn't know it was coming. She was happy right up until it was, oh, hey, what are you doing to me? You know, and then she gets the lollipop. But when she's like six, oh, no, I'm getting a shot. Okay, my heart has a different response to that. You know, because that's a fear that's based on, on I, I know this is coming, this is going to hurt. Monkeys and needles are different things. And I think in our passage today, Jesus is talking about monkeys. So if you've got something that is impending, hanging over you, and sometimes it comes to you and you feel fear, I don't know that he's talking about this and saying 
that and you'd be irrational to fear that or to plan for that. That trouble may come to you. You've got to figure out what to do about it. I don't think he's talking about needles. You understand what, I'm, what the difference I'm saying? But I do think there is a way of approaching needles that is just like monkeys. Because what, what Jesus is dealing with here is the kind of anxiety about what might happen. And I tell you what, our imaginations are so powerful. We can conceive of all kinds of worst-case scenarios, can't we? And sometimes you can, if you choose to, you can live your life in the anxiety of the worst-case scenario. How many times have you encountered the worst-case scenario that actually happened the way you imagined it? Yeah, me either. You know, because my worst-case scenario goes from a, a hangnail, and that hangnail means that my, my tissues are breaking down, and clearly, I have Ebola. And not only do I have Ebola, but there's an alligator in my house that gave it to me. I haven't found it yet, but it's going to eat my children, and there are monkeys in the attic. And, ah! Even if the worst case does come to me, and I find myself in that situation that I most dreaded and most feared, in the times in my life when that has happened, because there have been times when I had this imagined worst case scenario, and then sure enough, there it is. But it wasn't like I imagined. Because somehow, in my imagination, God is never there. When the worst thing comes on me, the reason that it's the worst is because somehow I've got to figure out how to get through this thing by myself. That is what Jesus is dealing with. The heart that dreams up a faith-emptied world and deals with problems that probably aren't going to come, but even if they do, you will not be alone. And so he comes saying, don't do that. Worry is the prayer of the atheist. Worry is the prayer of the atheist. Because prayer for the believer takes the trouble of life and does something with it. It comes to a one, to a presence, to a person who is greater and stronger than I am and offers it to him and says, I can't carry this, Dad. Will you? But the atheist does the exact same behaviors. They step into the things that trouble and frighten and disturb, but they have no one to give it to. And so they sit there with it and it stews on them and it wrestles in them. Too many Christians have functional atheism in their anxiety lives. Again, we're not talking here about needles or mental disorders. I'm talking about the way that we choose to live. And that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus comes to us to teach us that the faithful life is a better one. Because God is with you in it. Jesus begins with the word therefore, hoti in Greek. And uh, I, had a, I had a teacher in college, Jimmy Allen, 
who said it, I bet he said it a hundred times, over and over and over again. He said, anytime you run into the word therefore in Scripture, you've got to ask what the therefore is there for, right? You've probably heard that before. Uh, therefore, I won't say it again. No, that's not true. I'll probably say it a lot more times. But anyway, here, what Jesus, when Jesus begins with therefore, he's not beginning, right? He's in the middle of an argument. So what we talked about last week is the first thing that we got to get our heads around. And that is the too often, where is worry coming from? It's coming from being entirely too much in this world. He started back in verse 19 when he said, don't store up treasures for yourself in this place. Don't cherish this place. Don't make your life about this place. Don't be a servant to money. Don't let people fill you up with envy by looking at what they've got and what you wish you had. Because that is going to be the path to worry. It's going to be anxiety. And folks, isn't it true? Being too much in this world, Lloyd prayed about it just today about what's going on in our nation. And, and there, there are these strong emotions on both sides of a political issue. Let me ask you, how peaceful does this world feel right now? I'm hearing chuckles. Let me ask you, the more you invest in the, in the politics of this world right now, no matter which side of that thing you're on, how much peace do you feel? Look, I'm not saying those issues are unimportant. They're not. They are important, obviously. You know, the abuse of women by our society is a wicked evil that's got to stop. And I'm, I'm grateful we're seeing things move. Due process is an essential foundation to justice. And life without due process, got to stop. You know, neither of those are godly things. But our culture is ripping itself up. And if you invest heavily into that, being too much in this world is to be filled with ulcers. And that's why Jesus begins with, don't store up treasures here. Don't make your life about this place. Do you think that's new? Or do you think maybe the Roman Empire might have had some political problems that early Christians had to face? We were never meant to make our lives here. We were meant to make our lives about being good people here, but really with the awareness that we belong somewhere else. That we were made for a world not this one. And that we're destined to be a part of it if we follow the Christ. Not only that, that's not our kingdom. The kingdom of God is. And that's what we're meant to be a part of. And that kingdom does not fill you up with hate the way that this one too often does. So we need to set our hearts into the next world, which is why he says, therefore, all that stuff he's just said, therefore, how will I know if I'm doing it? If I really am setting my heart and my mind onto the ways of the Christ, and I really am trying to dwell in His kingdom, how will I know? He's saying, your heart is a barometer. And if you fill up with anxiety and fear and worry, guess what kingdom you're mostly putting your heart into? Jesus does this brilliant cyclical thing as He works His way. There is exactly one remedy in everything that He's got to say that frees the heart from worry. Just one remedy, one statement in all of it really frees you. But He builds this argument first so that you can hear it. 
so that you can hear the remedy statement. I'll go ahead and give it away. The remedy is seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. That's the way you escape from this. But before He does all that, He does this wonderful, like I said, it's cyclical, it's spinning. He gives us three things that appeal to our reason, that appeal to our minds, things of ideas. He gives us two things, that, and sort of a third, that deal with the theology that we need to believe that make those reasonable things make sense. And then he makes an appeal to our kind of religious identity, going, come on, you're better than that. Okay? We'll work our way through them, and then we'll get to that thing. So the three things that he says that appeal to reason, the first thing he says is, isn't life more than food? And your body is more than clothes? I think it's worth noticing that he's not talking about trivialities when he's talking about food. Man, I like food. I am like addicted to food. I eat just about every day. You know, sometimes more than once. You know, I, I really eat a lot. And if I don't eat, I get weak. I'm pretty sure that if I quit eating, I would die. We're talking about something kind of important, aren't we? The stuff of life itself, Right? Humanity was created a hungry animal, a hungry creature, and told to take in the... Do you realize this is God's first commandment? Eat this stuff. I give you this stuff to eat. Kind of foundational to your existence. And then clothes are kind of a big deal, especially in the fallen world. You go without those, you're going to get arrested. All right, so he's not talking about trivialities. What do you think? Is he saying, now, this is the stuff about food and clothes... Those are the things you shouldn't worry about. Go ahead and freak out about your house and your job. If it comes to the things that are so foundational as that, probably my house is not a thing to worry about either. That if I can trust God to take care of this stuff, He's going to take care of all this stuff. And the very first thing He says is, your life is more than that. You're making it about tangibles. You're making it about treasures on earth. It's not about that. Now, you're going to get that. He's going to take care of you. But don't get sucked into the idea that your life is about here, because it's not. There is something about you that is not dependent upon food. There is something about you that is not covered by clothing. You are more than just your body. Your life is more than that. Look, if you were in a terrible accident and you lost a hand, would your soul get any smaller? No, it would not. You are an intangible as well as a tangible creature, and your life is more than food. And when you make your life about food, you are neglecting the more important part of yourself. The care of your body is meant for the furthering of your soul. And let God care for your body. Now listen, there are Christians who have starved to death. That's happened. You know, He's saying, let God Be anxious about this. You leave this in His hands. He will give you what you need. The next thing that that is a reason-based argument is what good is it doing you? People who worry, do they make their lives longer? You know, we know more about medical science than the ancient world did, and we happen to know that actually, by worrying, you don't add hours, you subtract. Fill up your life with mental stress, 
You're going to put bodily stress on yourself, and you're going to wear out the machinery faster. So not only does it not help to extend your life, especially worrying about things that are well beyond your control, it doesn't make your life any longer. It makes them shorter. So you're not improving things by living in a this-world kind of life. Don't do it. It doesn't make sense. And his last reason-based argument is to leave the worries of tomorrow in tomorrow. Today's got enough problems. Deal with these. As it comes to you, you can do something about it. Until it has come to you, there is not one thing you can do. Can you solve tomorrow's problems? Do you have a TARDIS? Do you have a flux capacitor in your car? Do you have a time machine? No, you don't. You, you are all time travelers, but there are very strict rules to time travel. One, you can only go forward. Two, you go forward at the pace of one second per second. Your moving forward is permanently going that way. And so if that's the case, then putting your heart into tomorrow doesn't solve tomorrow's problems. It steals today's joy. And as the problems come to you, now you can do something about it. You know, it may be that you've thought about tomorrow's problem, but if you filled yourself up with worry and then the problem gets here, are you going to be better equipped to deal with it or worse? You fill up with anxious, you're going to mess it up. If you've given it to God, what's coming tomorrow, you gave it to God all day long, today. And when tomorrow comes... You're going to be a lot better off to deal with it. Aren't those reasonable things that he's had? He's appealing to your ability to think things through and to comprehend and to understand. He's saying you are a reasonable creature. Be reasonable with your anxiety. Again, he's not dealing with, with chemical dis imbalances in your brain. He's not dealing with needles. He's dealing with this, this rehearsing over and over again. Now, if reason alone were what was given to me, I'm not sure it would be very convincing. But it's not just reason. It's also this, who is your God thing. So he's going to say, look at the birds, and look at the grass, look at the lilies. His point is not, birds are pretty, and so are flowers. His point is about God, right? Not one of those things thinks about tomorrow. Uh, you know, if you've got a thinking flower, you should be very afraid of that. You know, that's little shop of horror stuff. You know, flowers don't sit there stewing over. Now, how do I look? Do I look all right? Does this petal make my leaf look fat? <laughs> they don't do that. All right. And birds are not critters that sit around. <laughs> I came up with that on the fly. Sorry. <laughs> That's just sick. I'm laughing at my own joke. Sorry. Give me a second. Anyway, birds. <laughs> Sorry. Birds do not sit around going, what am I going to eat tomorrow? They don't do it. They're out hunting today for today's food. Birds don't even sit there going, what am I going to feed my kids? It's They woke up. Now it's time to go find the worm to feed it to the bird. Okay? They aren't freaking out. Why not? Well, part of it is because they have a very tiny brain. Okay, That's part of it. 
But what Jesus' point is, is your God is active in creation. He is constantly taking care of creation. He takes care of grass. You walk on grass. Again, in the ancient world, grass was the stuff you made your roof out of. You don't make friends with grass. Nobody invites grass to go to a party with you, no matter how pretty it dresses. It is not a significant part of creation, and yet God has this intimate care for it. That's the picture Jesus is putting in front of us. All of those birds everywhere are eating. How are they doing that? God is feeding them. He is taking care of every single one of them. So if God takes care of birds, what do you think? Are you worth taking care of? Do you matter to Him? Now, I will say this. Sometimes the way that God chooses to feed me, I feel more like the worm than the bird. You know, there have been times when I've thought, oh man, this isn't going to work out. And then lo and behold, it didn't. God's priorities when it comes to me are a lot more complex when it comes to the birds. Because whether or not a bird has a good soul is not really all that important to God. But whether or not I do, it's. So sometimes my feeding, my tending, my care from the Father might actually be best experienced if I experience His absence. There have been times, haven't there for you, when I have walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And there have been times when I'm in the middle of that valley that I'm crying out, where are you? Don't you see all these problems? Wake up and still the storm for me. And He doesn't. Ever been there? When all of it just comes tumbling in? And yet, I have found it to be a law. Not a general rule, a law. That when I found my way to the other side, it was only then that I could truly see just how with me He was. And how much He took care of me. And how many of His problems, how many of the problems that I left in His hands, He solved. And how many of the problems that I took into my own, I made a whole lot worse. The trust of God makes sense because He cares about you. He loves you more than these. More than birds. More than grass. You are precious in ways that these are not. These are temporary. They pass away. They are thrown into the fire. But not you. No, you're His forever creation. He wants you for Himself. And you matter. So if He cares for the temporary, He will care for you. And then there's the appeal to the, aren't you a religious person? You know, as he sits there on the mountain and he looks out at all of these Hebrew followers of himself, he says to them, come on, the Gentiles make their life about chasing that. He would say to us, his followers, come on, non-Christians make their life about those priorities. They make their life about the treasures on earth. How big is my car? That's what makes my life something. How big is my house? How many rooms do I have? I have 27 bathrooms. Come on. Your life is more than this. Your life is more than these things. And the master that you have is better than money. Come on. Don't chase after that. Aren't you a faithful person? 
So what Jesus has done in all of that is to prep us to hear the remedy. He is arguing to say, this this thing that you're doing, it's not worth it. Okay, well, how do I get free then? Because as I said at the beginning of this sermon, so often the devil will quote these words and use them to make you more worried because now you're worried about being worried. How do I escape? Telling a worried person, well, don't worry, is kind of like telling an upset person, don't be so upset. Have you ever found that that works out well? You're having an argument with your spouse, and you say, good grief, what are you so mad about? Well, now I'm mad that you're a jerk. In addition to whatever I was mad at, I mean, telling someone, don't worry. That's not the remedy. But he's setting it all up so that we will hear it. And the remedy is, seek the kingdom and the righteousness of God. That's it. That you make God your treasure. And then you trust the one who still storms. Because the winds and waves still know his voice that ruled him when he dwelt below. You seek the pursuit of God's kingdom. Now, what is that? God's reign over us is love. God welcomes us into His law system. And remember, this is the king interpreting the law. That's all chapter 5 is. Is the great king of God, the great king that was predicted in Deuteronomy 17 has finally come. The one born into David's line promised in, in 2 Samuel 7 has finally come. That great king is here and he's showing us how to understand the law. Laws produce kingdoms. And he's saying this is what you need to seek. Be this kind of person. So be free from anger. Master lust. Don't lie. Make yourself a forgiving person and pray for your enemies. Seek that. Because when you do that, you're going to fill up your life with a whole lot of interior work. Because your heart is going to run counter to at least one of those commandments, if not all of them. And so as you make make that what your life is about, suddenly your life is too busy to worry about your bank account. You are too focused on what you ought to be focused about, being good. Being a good person. Make your life about that. Listen, I have met Africans who have nothing. They live in mud huts, but they are filled with joy and they don't worry because they are following Jesus Christ our Lord and they have made their life about seeking Him as King. I want to live within the kingdom of God and I want to obey the laws of my King. And so I'm making my life about that because by doing that, I can seek the righteousness of God in myself. My God is a good person. He is Wonderful. Even on a cursed earth, He is good. And so I'm going to make myself about seeking the righteousness that I can only find in God. I'm going to make my life about that. Then, whether I succeed or fail by this world's standards, I will have a good life. If I'm filled with goodness and kindness and love and mercy, if that's the kind of person that I am within, who can take that away? I could lose everything and I have lost nothing because I have sought the thing that set me free. And so you say, make your life about this. 
and all the rest of this will take care of itself. God will take care of you. You make your life about the chasing of God. You want to be free from anxiety? There's the cure. All of that is argument to get you to listen. Because the heart doesn't want to. The human heart, the broken heart, the fallen heart, it wants to take care of itself. It wants to make sure it has a good life. It wants to pursue good and run from evil and make sure that it takes care of itself and wants to be in charge of defining what those things mean. And it shipwrecks itself. And then in the disaster, it goes, oh no, what am I going to do? What you're going to do is you're going to love God. You're going to make Him first. And if he is first, he very quickly becomes all in all. And the rest of it, you don't worry about. You want to be free from worry? Love and pursue God with the rest of your life. And you will be free no matter what comes. That's good news, isn't it? Good news for the troubled soul. Following Jesus is worth doing. Am I right? As you look into your own heart today and you're sorting through this, I mean, I'm doing that. Sorting through this powerful teaching. Looking, okay, well, how am I doing with this? How are we doing? If you look into your life and you're like, man, these are not my priorities at all. Listen, the Lord God wants to help. That's why He came. And so does the church we want to pray. And so if, there's, if you need to let the church know, I'm struggling with this, then let the church know. Let us pray for you. There are people here who will love you. It may be that you came into this place and you were carrying burdens that I haven't touched on, but they're heavy, and you want the church to pray for you. This is a praying church. Well, pray. Let us know. And I'm telling you right now, there is no better way of life than following Jesus Christ our Lord. None. And if you haven't started, today's the day to do it. There's room right here if you're subject to the invitation of God. Come on up here while we stand and sing.